Hi, friends. Welcome to The Faithful Podcast, stories of people who walk by faith and gain a fuller understanding of the faithfulness of God. I'm your host, Stephanie Baker. I'm so excited about my guest for this episode, Adam Hawks. Adam is the husband of my guest, Sarah Hawks, from episode 40. He's also a dad, a pastor, a former youth pastor, just an all-around great guy. We talk about working in ministry, spiritual disciplines, and the importance of slowing down and learning to trust the Lord. So without further delay, here is my interview with Adam Hawks. Adam, thanks so much for joining me today. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. I am. I'm so excited to talk to you. Um, your wife, Sarah, was yep. on my podcast. I looked it up. It's episode 40 that she was on, and she shared a lot about going through really hard times. Um, and we just love you guys so much. I'm so glad that we get a chance to chat today. Yeah, like I said, I'm glad I'm glad to be here. We have a lot of respect for for you and Phil, and so uh, always a pleasure to get to talk to you, whether it's over Zoom on an interview or, you know, over Need to Breathe on right? a Friday night or whatever Yeah, it is. <laughs> we did recently get to go to see Need to Breathe, and for anybody I- that has never seen them live, oh, it's so worth it. They, we saw them with Switchfoot, and it was incredible. Just- yeah, my voice is starting to come back after that. <laughs> I didn't realize I was screaming so much, but I was. I so. didn't even hear you screaming that much. You were two exactly. seats away. That's it was a loud pretty was. loud concert. Yeah. <laughs> Your wife was really funny. She she was like, I, I love this, but I feel like I'm really old. I need sunglasses and earplugs because the <laughs> yeah. lights were a lot and the sound was quite loud, but it was incredible. So totally worth it. Absolutely. So for those that don't know you, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you've been up to lately. All right. Yeah, I'm Adam Hawks, and uh, I am the pastor of discipleship at Sugarland Methodist Church. Um, that's a relatively new gig for me. I started mm-hmm. at the end of November of last year, so coming up on a year here. Oh wow! Um, I've been at the church for almost ten years. I started as the well uh, in student ministry. I was the director of student ministry most recently, mm-hmm. um, starting back in 2012. So in January of 2012. So it's been about ten years now since I've been at the church. And mm-hmm. yeah, you mentioned. My wife, Sarah, we've been married almost nine years coming up this next year, Mm. and uh, we have a three-year-old named Micah, and exactly a year, well, not exactly a year, but a year and 10 days later, Ellie came along. Yeah. She's two, (laughs) and then uh, we have a little one who, here you go, this is breaking news. Breaking news. You heard it here first. Leo. Leo? Leo. Oh, Yeah, Leo James. I love it. on the way. He'll be born, uh, hopefully, in February is his due date. So oh, number three awesome. on the way. So that that keeps us on our toes yeah, <laughs> for sure. But um, yeah, I'm from Ohio originally, and I've been in Texas since 2009. And uh, been in, I was in student ministry starting in 2004. Mm. So I've been in ministry quite a while and, and just, yeah, recently made this shift to um, pastoral ministry here as the pastor of discipleship pretty recently. So. Wow. That's the gist. That's, that's the gist of what you're going on. Yeah. yeah. No, that's great. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I think it's amazing that you, was that like 16 years in student ministry? Yeah, I started out, it's it's a bit inflated, I guess I could say. Started yeah. out as an internship in the summer um, yeah. after my freshman year in college and uh, sophomore year in college. And then um, I started year round in, in student and college ministry, then my junior year in college mm-hmm. and then through seminary. So that was four years. And then um, full time in 2009 student ministry. So that's yeah. crazy. That's a long time to work with students. And I know, like, oh man, having done that for I don't even know how many years that Phil and I did student ministry together. But it it's it's something you can you know you can easily uh, see why people move on to adults sometimes. But if you have a heart for students, that's just such a powerful thing. And I, yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. What were no, you gonna I was going to say, yeah, it's it's a it was it was something that I I really enjoyed. It was something that was really meaningful to me, and a lot of people do kind of take that jump regularly, or even see student ministry as kind of a training ground to mm-hmm. go and and be a senior pastor or whatever. Which I can't deny that there's a lot of value in doing that. Yeah, um, because you're kind of running a little mini church in some regards. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, you don't want to silo yourself off, but yeah, uh, but there's a lot to learn and grow in there. But I wanted to stick it out in student ministry, um, just because I. 
I, I wanted to be that kind of person who, who students could count on to be there, not someone who was going to, you know, leave after two years or a year and a half, like most uh, student ministers do. So yeah. the tenure is relatively short. Yeah. No, that's but I was very blessed. That's awesome. Um, so tell us how you came to know Jesus. Yeah, I'm a church kid. Um, I don't know the stats exactly, but it's kind of a joke in our family. I was probably in church a couple of days after being born. Um, and so that was, <laughs> that was kind of the way it was. I just grew up in the church. We did everything together. I went camping for the first time uh, when I was, gosh, probably two months old. And that was like a church family camp out. And so um, I was just raised in the church and grew up in the church. And um, it was a uh, independent Christian church. And I, when I was eight years old, um, my family was going through something quite difficult and I recognized that we were getting to play outside the church for a significantly longer time than normal. Mm. Um, and I was like, what is going on? So I went, I went to look for my mother and I found her in the sanctuary circled by people praying over her. Um, as she was just in tears, uh, wrestling through, um, mm. what our family was struggling with. And, and I just remember feeling this is, this is who I want to be. And this mm. is, this is, this is right. I want to be a part of this, this type of community. And I felt the call right then and there as an eight year old to, to be baptized and to follow Jesus. And so I got a little blazer, I got baptized and then I got a little blazer and uh, <laughs> got to help with communion and then call me a little preacher boy. And um, then I would subject my, my siblings and my, my brother and sister to my little mini sermons um, when I was eight. And they were, <laughs> yeah. So I've been That's writing awesome. bad sermons for a long time. <laughs> That's awesome. I had no idea about that. That's hilarious. Yeah, oh, it's a much bigger story, but I don't think you have time for all of it. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, it was just a really cool season of, of God's grace um, and a really hard time in our family. So, mm, That's yeah. awesome. Um, so tell me about how you felt called to ministry. Mm-hmm. It was honestly right around that same time. I don't know... Um, I'm sure there was a gap between being baptized and feeling called to ministry, but, um, but I definitely wanted to be in ministry from a young age. I know when I, uh, right after that difficult season of life for our family, we left town, we moved away for a couple of years mm-hmm. and the church we ended up in, um, was about two hours away from where I grew up the first eight years. Mm-hmm. And, um, I ended up being friends with the pastor's son mm-hmm. and, uh, another boy, and we always just talked about wanting to go to Kentucky Christian College. I, I think we met somebody that was from there. I'm like, we're all going to go to Kentucky Christian College and be youth pastors. Wow. <laughs> and uh, it was a joke, but it was true. Um, so <laughs> I didn't go to Kentucky Christian. I went to the University of Kentucky and mm-hmm. became a youth pastor. Um, but it was kind of a process for me. That was when I first felt called to go into ministry. Um, I didn't know what that looked like, but I just, I idolized a lot of people who I knew that were in ministry, people who'd invested in me and cared about me. And um, I just liked the idea of doing what they did. Um, when I was a junior in high school, I told my youth pastor at church that I thought I wanted to go into youth ministry. And he told me, you don't know what that means. Uh, you, <laughs> I was like, okay. Um, you know, you think that's all, it's, it's all just games and pizza. And yeah. He, he was wrong, but I think he was I think yeah. he was on to something, you know, mm-hmm. and that challenged me to think more deeply about why that was something I felt called to. And it was pretty cool because when I did go back in 2004, um, after my freshman year in college, he was the one who invited me to come serve under him and learn from him. And so my first two summers of interning was with that same youth pastor. But wow. God just kind of continued to confirm that call along the way. In college, I uh, after I interned with him for two summers, I thought I was going to have to leave the University of Kentucky to go get some Bible training. And um, that the word got out to my college pastor and he said, I'll train you. You don't have to leave. And so mm. um, I got a psych degree there and um, and interned pretty closely with him for four years and got trained up and sent to seminary. So, um, yeah, God just continued to kind of confirm that call along the way. And um, and it's it's come from a lot of different mentors and friends and family. And um, it's just been clear that, that this is who God's made me to be. Yeah. I think that's interesting about the deciding to stay at Kentucky. Um, do you feel like being at like a secular university really influenced um, kind of how you functioned as a pastor? 
Hmm. It's a good question. Uh, yes and no. I mean, I think there were people who wanted to follow Jesus there probably just as much as there would be at a Christian school. Yeah. Um, I think you maybe had to be a little bit more intentional about it, which was good. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the key things about being in ministry there at Kentucky, which was unique and might not have been the case at a, a Christian school per se, was that all the college pastors got together on on Mondays and prayed over the campus. So we're talking the Wesley Foundation people, the Baptist Student Union people, the Reformed folks, you know, all, wow. like all, and even the Catholic ministries, all of them got together and prayed over the campus and sought ways to help one another out. That's awesome. Um, yeah, and, and, and I worked for a... Um, a group that was, it was actually a church of Christ, non-instrumental church of Christ, which just had this history of raising up leaders, Mm -hmm. Um, a great, great church and a great ministry, but not super attractive to college freshmen, pretty small ministry. Right. Um, And so there were lots of times where I would meet someone and uh, I would build a relationship with them and I could just tell that they didn't feel like they connected super well with our ministry. And because of that Monday morning prayer time, I knew several other people who they might connect with and our church encouraged that. Yeah. You know, I was basically getting paid to, to, to go help people get connected, even if it wasn't to our church, mm. which I think was a major sign of the, the, or a major testament to the health of the church. Yeah. And so there were lots of times where I would, I would, you know, walk with someone for several months and, and then just realize that, you know, they need something else and, and we would introduce them to, you know, Brian <laughs> and, and Brian would take it from there. And these people are, some of them are pastors now themselves. So wow, um, it was just a really cool opportunity. But I think, I think there was a lot of intentionality on campus among all of the churches and all the different uh, religious organizations to, to work together, to, to really reach the campus. Mm, that's awesome. I think that um, collaboration and working together is just, it's kind of unheard of, you know, everything is, in, in a lot of situations, it's about bringing them into your particular church. And, um, you know, I think that's amazing to put put aside, like, the desire to maybe grow numerically to grow the kingdom. You know, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. So now you have recently, as you mentioned, in the last year, you've transitioned your— um, into a pastoral role at your church and you're now leading one of the services and a lot of your job responsibilities have been changing. Can you share how, how that transition has been going for you? Yeah. Um, so I think, I think I was kind of in a, a place where God was slowly releasing me from student ministry um, over the course of the last few years. And it was another one of these moments where I kind of reevaluated my call and I'm like, man, do I need to be jumping out of ministry altogether and and do something else? Um, Or what is it? And as I prayed through that and worked through it, really the only thing I could think of that I wanted to be doing was something in a discipleship realm. Um, Every other job or occupation I could think of was interesting, but not something I could see myself doing long-term. Yeah. Um, So it just so happened that at the church, you know, there was kind of uh, some issues that came up and um, leadership was changing. Our senior pastor, who had been there for 27 years, retired. And um, the person who they thought was going to take over for him um, potentially was the one who was leading the service I now lead. And and he just didn't feel like he could do that um, for for lots of different reasons and stepped out. and, um, And so that kind of opened a place for a new senior pastor and, and then for someone to fill this role in the venue service that we call it, um, to lead and, and to be the pastor of discipleship. And so I was approached about that and uh, I'd already spoken with the, the pastor who was leaving, um, not the one who was retiring, but the one who I would have been replacing several times and kind of heard everything he was wrestling with. And, and after that, and speaking with leadership of our church, I felt, I felt very called to step into this role. Yeah. Um, and, and that was a challenge because I, I didn't really know what it was going to look like. Um, it was going to be a major change for me personally and um, in ministry. And I knew there would be a lot of, a lot of challenges. So really we stepped into the role and just started having a lot of conversations with individuals and families who might've been hurt or wrestling through, you know, what to do or how to handle this transition. And we just had a lot of conversations and tried to listen to people and, and would share then our heart for the, for the service, which is about six years old. Um, mm-hmm. I was a part of the group who, 
who started the service. I wasn't, you know, in the leadership of the service, but I was a part of a team working toward, you know, planting something like that. Um, so I've been around it from its inception and felt like I could kind of take it into the next iteration. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, it was a big challenge. And then of course, you know, um, three months in to the role is when our senior pastor did retire. And, and then I kind of operated in, in some form of a, a team of interim pastors until mm-hmm. the new senior pastor stepped in. I wasn't the interim pastor, but you could argue at seasons, I, I operated in some form of an interim senior pastor yeah. role. Um, uh, and that was really sweet too, because I got to kind of um, spend time sharing about what I, what I valued about the senior pastor that was leaving. And then um, I had known a little bit about the the senior pastor that was coming in and I was excited about his leadership and um, and, and even learning under him and his leadership, he'd actually led a service similar to mine, um, or the one that I currently lead at our church 17 years ago. Wow. And so he knew a lot about the role that I was currently in. And mm-hmm. so it was cool to be able to talk about him coming and, and, and being able to be excited about what the future of our church looked like. Um, but there were a lot of, a lot of challenges as well. One, taking a job and, and trying to understand what it meant to do it from this senior pastor's perspective, and then six months later, learn yeah. <laughs> what it looked like or under the direction of another senior pastor, um, all while kind of trying to reestablish things that were previously suspended because of COVID or um, other circumstances like that. So it's been a bit of a, a whirlwind, um, but I would say, you know, we're almost a year in, um, three more weeks and it'll be a year. Wow. And um, yeah, which is really hard to believe. <laughs> And I feel like we're kind of getting to the place to where we have an idea of, of kind of what some of the next steps are, at least as far as the discipleship side of things is concerned. Um, so I think there's some really good things on the horizon. Um, and God has certainly taught me a lot through the transition. And, um, and I'm excited about, about where our church is as well. Yeah. So what is your title now? Pastor of Discipleship. Pastor of Discipleship, so, okay. Yeah, I oversee all the Sunday school classes, small groups, Bible studies. Um, technically, I'm kind of over student ministry and children's ministry still, but we have a, a, someone else who, who does a great job of overseeing that, who's been around for many, many years. So they're shielding me from those roles at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yes, I lead, I lead the worship service, um, one of our three worship services. That's awesome. Yeah, and I mean, in there, you also got a new worship pastor, and yeah. are leading, leading the one you're in. I mean, that, that's a lot of transition. That's a lot. I mean, you, you came in, and it's kind of like you came in in like the middle of a whirlwind. Like you, I mean, COVID itself like shook, COVID really shook the um, the institutional church in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people go online and didn't come back. And then on top of that, having a new pa- a new lead pastor that makes enough people decide that they're going to leave and then mm-hmm. other you know just a lot of transitions and i mean how how did you how did you survive through all that i mean like i know they love they already loved you which is uh you know a nice advantage to have you weren't stepping into a church where nobody knew you but mm-hmm. yeah yeah that was definitely a major advantage um I'm, I'm, I think our church has done a great job of raising up leaders as well. And so I've had opportunities to preach and even write entire sermon series um, during my time in, in student ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had a, a little bit of a platform to where people had kind of gotten to know me a little bit, but also I had a reputation for building relationships and, and really caring about other people. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think that that helped as, as folks knew that I wasn't, you know, trying to do any harm or trying to, to build a, um, build a brand or anything like that. Um, but I just, I really cared about the church, you know, I had been around long enough that people knew that I cared about, uh, I cared about the church. And, um, yeah, so I've just, I've just tried to operate that way. Um, yeah. And then just being sensitive to kind of the needs of the community, because as well as the, the, the worship leader leaving and the, the pastor of that service leaving, um, there were a couple other families that, that followed. Yeah. Um, and then when we hired new people, I think it's just natural that there are some other people who came in. And mm-hmm. um, it was about three months into the transition that I preached all of our services on one Sunday. And 
I was like, you know what? The one I'm in charge of is the one that's the hardest to preach. <laughs> and why is that? Yeah. And it's, it's because everyone felt like they were new, whether they'd been there six years or they'd been there six days, oh, okay. you know, six weeks, whatever. They looked around and they didn't feel like they knew anybody. Mm. And so a big part of it has been just um, kind of reestablishing, rebuilding community within that worship service. And then as a whole, you know, due to COVID, it's the community has been kind of torn down and one of my first tasks, discipleship pastor-wise, was just getting all of our Sunday school classes a space to meet that was adequate size and and uh, try and make sure they're comfortable and felt safe. And so really rebuilding community was was one of my first tasks in the transition. Yeah. Um, and it's one that I feel like I was relatively well-suited for. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, so that was a blessing. Yeah. Um, I mean, this isn't something we like talked about um, discussing, but I'm just curious— how how you feel like um you guys have handled the you know returning after covid and how um i i know that it has to be a really divisive kind of thing i mean it's you can't please everybody but how how did you guys go about navigating what are we going to do next or what what are we going to follow yeah, I think it was pretty easy to just be able to fall back on CDC guidelines. Yeah, um, I think you know that wasn't really my role per se. I was more mm-hmm. or less going along with with what uh, leadership decided. Yeah, um, but um, like the service I lead was in a much smaller venue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's called the venue <laughs> yeah. because the room we met in was the venue, and now mm-hmm. the venue meets in the Great Hall, which is significantly mm. larger. But uh, <laughs> you know, giving sounds bigger, giving, <laughs> right? It does. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But it's it was just so that there was more space for people to spread out. So trying to give adequate space to where people would feel comfortable, and then, um, like I said, falling back on the CDC guidelines was was easy because we were saying like we're not really developing any new policies. We're just trying right. to, to do what's what's recommended by the health professionals, and yeah. that was helpful because if people got angry, we're like you know we're just we're doing the best we can, and, right. and, and you can't really expect us to do any different than that. Um, yeah. But I think just listening, you know, there are groups of people that felt more cautious and groups of people that felt more like, you know, we need to just get back into things. Mm -hmm. So helping people on both sides of that to feel listened to and to know that we care how they feel. But at the same time, we've got to do what's best for everybody. And sometimes that's going to seem like it's putting you out and other times it's going to feel like it's putting someone else out. Um, Right. And I think at, at one time or another, both sets of people have felt ostracized in some level and you recognize that. And, and instead of avoiding that conflict, you go to them and, and you try and talk about it. You know? Right. Yeah. You know, and, that's great. And that's the best you can do. No, I think that's really good. A lot of, a lot of wisdom in that. Um, so how has this career change challenged you to reevaluate like your life and your approach to ministry? Hmm. The way I've described my approach to ministry has always been a relational ministry, um, so trying to build relationships with people. And so it's definitely different, um, you know, building relationships with students for 15 years or 16 years or whatever it was, and then you know now building relationships with their parents and their grandparents. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, um, you know, building relationships with students over nine years at this church specifically, I think, has helped me um, to, to move forward into that. So. I don't know that it's really changed my approach a ton. Um, it's maybe changed my analogies in terms of preaching or my expectations. You, you know, you, you challenge adults a little bit differently than you challenge students. Right. Um, understanding people's time commitments and um, the struggle of that, which I think in a lot of ways has made it a little bit easier on me to relate simply because of the life stage that I'm in mm-hmm. um, with, you know, two young children and, and another one on the way, it's, I'm kind of at that point of life where <laughs> I understand that what it means to be frazzled and kind of worn thin. And yeah. what does it look like to be challenged on a Sunday morning now in a sermon mm-hmm. when you already feel that way? Um, so I think it's, I think it's been, um, it's been a good change for my family overall. Um, and I think, I think really more so than, than even the job change, it's been my life stage that has challenged me to reevaluate my life <laughs> Yeah. for the most part. Um, I think I just got to a point, and it may be related to the job, but I think it would have happened even if I was still in student ministry, um, where I just noticed that I was 
really tired emotionally and physically as well. No matter what I was doing or how much sleep I was getting, I was tired. I was exhausted. And um, when my wife and I found out that we were having our third, we just said, you know, we always said that we were going to do a good job of taking care of one another and put one another first, you know, and let our kids see the way that we love one another. And that was going to make them feel safe and loved. We're not going to put our kids first. We're going to put each other first and and let them kind of sit under that loving relationship um, for their safety. And that's harder to do in practice than you would think when the kids have these constant needs and, and you know they're yeah. often louder needs than, right. <laughs> than the needs of your spouse and so we just said you know we we've really got to recommit to that and do a better job of taking care of one another um and so just trying to to sit down both of us individually and together and say what is it that we really need um moving forward to to take care of one another so there's just little things we've been implementing um to take care of one another um can you share about some of those yeah, uh, so, I mean, they're, they're not really all that earth-shattering. It's just that, uh, <laughs> you know, like for me, I'm working and then coming home and putting kids to bed. And often we have, like, I still do the college ministry, so we have that on Wednesday nights. Um, mm-hmm. Our own small group meets on Tuesday nights. And um, so if there's, really, if there's another night a week that's booked, it kind of starts to feel crazy. Yeah. Um, and so one of the things I notice is I just need some time to myself. You know, mm-hmm. and so um, our kids go to the preschool at our church two days a week. <coughs> excuse me, um, on Tuesday and Thursday morning. And so Sarah had kind of this built-in time frame when the kids were in school that she had to to rest a little bit or to do whatever she wanted. Yeah, and I didn't really have that time. Although you could say I'm out working, I'm interacting with adults, and so. Yeah. Um, she started giving me like one Saturday a month where I could just kind of go do whatever I wanted and and relax. And mm. um, that kind of changed to about every other week um, in the evening. I don't help put the kids to bed as I'll go and I can go on a jog or I could meet up with friends and, and just have some adult time um, yeah. to rest and recharge. And when they, when it, over the summer when the kids weren't in school, she was doing, we were just alternating weeks doing that. Um, that's awesome. So I, I think that's the main thing really is is just um, being able to communicate what it is you need. And, and it's a slow process kind of trying to figure that out. Um, I think there's a lot more that's related to that that we'll get into um, maybe a little bit later. Yeah. Um, but like some of the big red flags for me during that season was just, uh, you know, I was worn out. I was tired and I felt like I felt like I was struggling to be compassionate. Mm. Um, it was really a red flag and it really bothered me, especially, you know, you you mentioned, you talked to my wife about grief. She lost her mother about two years ago, um, in January. And, um, there'd be times where she would voice that she was hurting or still missing her mother and like an anger would rise up in me. And Mm. I'm like, that is a problem. (laughs) And it was like, I was so stretched thin that like any other potential burden or someone else like Mm -hmm. needing something from me, (laughs) like angered me or set me off. And it's, that is a problem. There's, there's something that needs to be done there. Mm. And then one that's, you know, not as concerning necessarily, uh, because obviously that one affects a lot of other people. I noticed that I just wasn't, I wasn't remembering as much. Um, like I was forgetting a lot of details. I've always had a hard time retaining what I read and things like that, but I I was just really struggling to, to remember things. And so just, just obvious that I was kind of worn too thin and, um, needed to really take a step back and look at, um, at what I needed to, to grow in my relationship with the Lord and to, and to be more emotionally stable, I guess you could say. Yeah. I think that, um, that, that, you know, situation with your wife that you were describing, I think that's interesting because like your spouse in a lot of ways can be like a barometer for your, mm-hmm. your own health because yep. you're not going to lash out at somebody at church <clears throat> that mm-hmm. is grieving, but you feel that comfort level with your spouse that you, they see the worst. <laughs> and so I think it's important, um, you know, like you were talking about having like this time that you sit down with your spouse and you're talking to them and, you know, it's really easy to go through life and not do that or to just like turn on the TV and not discuss, you know, how are you doing? What are your needs? And so having that time to say, hey, by the way, 
you know, this is, this is, this is what I'm struggling with and allowing that space for, you know, deep discussion is, is so important. I think that's awesome that you were able to do that. Um, what do you feel like some struggles from your past that, um, or are there struggles from your past that you feel like are, um, preparing you or have prepared you for what you're doing now? Um, yeah, I think, you know, you could talk about a couple different ways. One, one vocationally, um, you know, I mentioned that I moved to Texas from Kentucky in 2009 to, uh, be the director of student ministries for a church plant. And that did not go well. Um, I was Mm -hmm. let go after, after two years. And that was the first time that I was just like, man, maybe, maybe I don't need to be in ministry, you know, is there something else I need to be doing? Maybe I'm not gifted for this. Mm. And, um, so I think that was just a good, a a good thing for me to have, um, at least from a worldly perspective, have a failure, um, that I had to wrestle through and and say like, okay, have I just been discerning that I'm not, I'm supposed to be in ministry and that's not the case or is there something else going on or, or is this just an attack from the enemy and I need to hear from the Lord and, Mm and go from there, um, or what, but I I can say like when I stepped into this new role, um, perfectly aware that there were going to be a lot of attacks, um, or even, you know, just issues with self-confidence or, um, issues with, with relying on the Lord. It was kind of cool because, um, God drew me to first Thessalonians five twenty four, And I think, um, so when I inherited the service, I inherited during Advent, and I believe they were beginning the lectionary. And uh, well, they were beginning the lectionary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I believe this passage was a part of the lectionary for Advent. Yeah, it was First Thessalonians five twenty four. He who calls you is faithful; he will surely do it. Mm. And that's been something that I've I've clung to for this past year. Is just man, if I, if I believe in his calling, which I do, yeah, um, that I believe he is faithful, and and he's kind of the one. God is the one who's in charge of of getting me through it, of taking me where I'm supposed to go. Yeah. I'm just called to submit to him. And so I think that that failure, quote unquote, was was pretty key in helping me to just be able to consistently rely on the Lord in the midst of hardship or even questions of calling or whatever. Um, I, I know who I want to be, and there are seasons where I'm not really that person. Mm-hmm. I'm not the person I want to be. And so, you know, then the question is, well is this who I really am and I need to let that dream go? Mm. Or is it that I, I've got some wrestling to do? I've got some work to do yeah. to find out what it is that's keeping me from being the, the man that God's called me to be. Um, and more, more often than not, that's, I'd say always. Yeah. That is, that, that is yeah. actually the case, you know, is that we just got some wrestling to do and, and some listening to do. So mm. um, I'm kind of becoming a person who's a better listener. Um, and I think that same thing is true personally in terms of, in terms of my family. Um, you know, I, I mentioned that problem uh, that we, that my family had in the past was, was between my parents for a season and um, God restored their marriage, which was incredible. Yeah. Um, but I think, uh, I think during this season of, of wrestling recently that God has me in, um, he's showing me that, you know, a heart of judgment toward anyone who would leave their family um, or anyone who would leave their wife, it's just not helpful. Um, yeah. And I'm opening a can of worms here that I'm not sure I can close, but, uh, just <laughs> but, the, but the point, the point is that um, I think we're all care- capable of, of doing those kind of things. And I was in a place where I was feeling so worn out and struggling. And I think most people, at least what our culture says is this is normal. Everybody feels this way. Mm. And so you just need to tough it out. You just need to get through it and it'll get better. And I just think that's all more often than not, probably a lie. Um, what happens is we put our head down, we don't deal with it. And then we just move along this timeline to where we're even more tired and more bent out of shape. And then we do that thing that we said we'd never do, Mm. um, because it feels like the only way out. Um, Mm. and so I, I think that, that history showed me that, yeah, I, I absolutely am capable of doing terrible things and, and leaving my family. And so if I'm feeling a way that is, 
is like, um, you know, I have pain in my arm. I have a problem with my arm. I need to get it looked at. Right. If I'm having pain in my soul and my spirit, then there's something that needs to be looked at, not avoided. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, you know, God's showing me like, this is, here's who you want to be. And, and the only way that happens is, is by submitting to me in the midst of this brokenness or in this pain or whatever it is you're wrestling with. Um, and you let me, you let me move you there as opposed to just put your head down like everybody else, as far as you perceive yeah. and get through it. Um, so those are kind of some uh, struggles in my past, I guess, that have prepared me for at least this past month. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, that's really good. I think that, um, you know, we, and this isn't just like a, a Christian concept, but like we value people that would like wear themselves out for the sake of their job or for the sake of success or whatever it might be in our culture. Like you need to be like a martyr for your job and whether your job is, is in ministry or not, that is valued in some situations. And I think it's important that, you know, you look, you know, what is God calling me to do? Not what will my, you know, maybe it doesn't even come from your employers, but you know, from people, there's, what do I feel internal pressure to accomplish or, you know, can I, can I cut certain things out and, you know, to allow some more flexibility in my life and more time for me to spend with the Lord or me to spend with getting mentored or whatever it is that's lacking. And I think it's asking for help is not, not valued very highly. And there's a lot of, a lot of areas I've seen that in myself and in other people. And it's, you know, it makes me really sad when I take that step away and I look and I'm like, why didn't I ask for help with this? Why did I unnecessarily struggle and then take it out on other people or whatever it might be? Yeah. So, um, so you kind of mentioned a little bit about how this job has allowed you to have a schedule that more lines up with your family situation yeah. right now. Um, how else has this change affected your family? Well, um, one thing that I, I guess this was a few weeks ago, we sang a song in our 830 service, which was more traditional. And I uh, got this picture of, of sitting in a pew with my dad when I was younger and, yeah. <laughs> and singing this song. My dad's a singer and uh, we were just built it out. And then I got sad because I'm like, well, when am I going to get that opportunity with my kids? Mm. You know, as of right now, the way our service works, I'm not really in worship with, with our kids. Um, mm. And, you know, I, I think that could change, but um, there's just a, I think there's going to have to be a real intentionality in terms of what does Sunday look like um, for my family and, mm-hmm. and really set a priority over worshiping together and um, finding a way to make that work, whatever it looks like. But, you know, right now um, we have meetings at 7.30 in the morning, so I leave the house just after 7. A lot of times the kids are either just waking up or haven't woken up, so I won't see them. And yeah. sometimes they're down for nap before I get home, so I won't even see them till after 2, you mm. know, on a, on yeah. a Sunday. Um, but one thing that I did right off the bat was my, my son, and he's the 3-year-old, so he can understand a little bit. Um, I just said, hey, you know, daddy's, daddy's about to do, you know, daddy's about to preach, and I'm, I'm a little nervous about it, or I want to make sure that, that I'm really doing what the Lord wants me to do. Will you pray for me? And uh, it was so cool because I would come home and the first time I'd see me, he'd be like, Dada, we prayed for you. (laughs) It was just this cool (laughs) moment. So I think the big thing for me is just, um, well, one of the things that I always asked pastors was, you know, how do you, how do you emphasize like raising your kids and, and how do you make sure that they don't kind of fall into the traps of kind of, I don't know, that typical pastor's kid or whatever, which I'm finding is not as typical as I once thought. You know, you get this uh, idea that I all pastor's it, kids are screwed up. And I don't know where that came from because I don't really see it all that often. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, the one thing that I did here all the time was just be, you know, first off, be genuine in the pulpit. Don't try and convince everybody that you're some super holy man, mm-hmm. um, you know, and <laughs> And obviously, like, let your kids see your faults at home because they're going to see you stand up there and, and talking to people and maybe even hear other people put you up on a pedestal, you know, so you got to make sure that they know that you see yourself as someone in need of, of God's grace as well. Mm. So I, Sarah and I both do whatever we can to let our kids see our, our weaknesses as well as our strengths. And, you know, yeah. we ask them for forgiveness when we screw up and we try and let them into kind of some of my fears and stuff as we approach our, you know, ministry tasks and things like that. So... Um, yeah. so far it's been mostly positive, I would say. 
Mm. I think that's that's just like authenticity that you're talking about. And it's not just, it's realizing that like your kids are, are people. They're, you know, not going to grow into people. They are already people. <laughs> and like letting them see that just like, you know, we should be with other people, um, allowing them to, to see that. I think that's awesome. Um, tends to work against them feeling like there's hypocrisy in their parents. And I think that may be where the um, rebellious preacher's kid things come from. I don't know that for certain, but I, so I don't really know if that's true or not myself. But but yeah, I think it comes from feeling like there's too much pressure on your kids to be some kind of you know, mini preacher almost um, or something that they're not. And then also like seeing hypocrisy, like maybe you act one day or one way on Sunday and then every other day, it's a completely different thing. So it yeah. sounds like you're you're trying to work against that, which I, I mean, I can't I can't guarantee that you know kids, <laughs> kids won't head down a hard path, but I think that seems like a good recipe for, you know, doing the best that you can to raise your children in the Lord. Mm. Um, so, what do you feel like has been one of the biggest surprises you've had after beginning a career in vocational ministry? Like, what's been surprising about it? Hmm. That can be a good or bad surprise. Yeah. (laughs) I think, um, I think that the first one that popped in my mind was, especially as it pertains to, to student ministry back then is just, you know, people, people kind of put you on a pedestal automatically. and, And maybe that relates back to our last question is then I think a lot of pastors, um, feel the need to make sure they stay on that pedestal. Mm hmm. Um, but for me, it was harder because, uh, I can, I can just think of the time where I saw a student for the first time in a while, hadn't been at church or hadn't been at youth group. And I'm like, Hey man, it's great to see you. And they're like, Oh yeah, I've been busy. You know, I've been, and they, the first thing they do is, is give all the excuses why they haven't been mm-hmm. around. And it's like, why did you assume that? Because I said hi to you, it was because you haven't been in church. You know? Yeah. Um, I'm not coming here to rebuke you. I'm coming to say like, I genuinely am excited to see you and it's, it's great yeah. to have you. And, you know, tell me about what your life has been like over the mm-hmm. past month or whatever. Um, but a lot of people would jump right to that. Oh, the pastor's coming to talk to me because I haven't been here and I'm in trouble. <laughs> it's, not, <laughs> it's not really the case, but yeah, that pedestal I think kind of leads a lot of pastors to be kind of unapproachable or at least to be approached differently. And people can't be themselves around you as they want to say all the right things. And, um, and so that's just not, that's not something that I ever want um, to be the case. I want people to see me as a person who is, is kind of working through this as well. Yeah. Uh, I'm not standing up there because I have all the answers. I'm there because I'm a disciple of Jesus and I'm working on better understanding scripture and, and trying to practice his ways also. And right. We're kind of on the, on the same page with that, but mm. it's been kind of cool, just especially with this transition um, a lot of my students who I've, I've been in a relationship for nine years, some of them were in middle school and now they're in college. And, um, and you know, there's some who are out of college who were just starting high school when I started. And, wow. um, you know, they, they never do that. They never approach me that way. They always, you know, um, just come up to me and, and they're comfortable being themselves, which I think is just a testament to the relationship we've built. So, yeah, um, I think that's always a really beautiful thing. Oh, that's awesome. Um, that kind of leads into the next thing I wanted to ask you about. Um, you know, we talked about being approachable and being somebody who, you know, admits them they struggle. Um, you had kind of shared with me um, about these, you know, feeling God calling you to adopt maybe some new spiritual disciplines and, or maybe not new, but maybe stuff that God is calling you to get more serious about. And I think that you're, desire to be authentic is really admirable because, you know, you're going to preach about something you're going to try and be living it out as much as possible. And um, so I just wanted to see if you would share a little bit about some of these um, practices that have been, you've been adopting. Yeah, it's, it's a relatively new process. It was one of those things to where I, uh, I found myself constantly saying things like, you know, I, I don't yet practice this, but I hope to practice what I preach. And I really want to be the kind of person who preaches what I practice. Right. Um, you know, it's, it's one thing to say, 
I'm not mastering this yet, but it's still important for us to talk about. There's nothing wrong with that, mm-hmm. but it's, it's just a much better place to be in to say like, Hey, I've been wrestling with this for a year now, Yeah, <laughs> you know, and here's, here's something a direction I think we can move together. And so I just really want to be the kind of person who, who preaches what I practice rather than constantly trying to practice what I preach. I think that the practicing what I preach is exhausting because you're constantly trying to to keep up with yourself and what you're what you're challenging other people to do right um and i think that was leading to a lot of of disconnect for me also and so um i think really the the heart in it is god was just telling me like slow down Mm. just slow down man yeah um you're trying to become like completely perfect in a snap of the fingers and that's just not how discipleship works. Right. So you need to slow down and take it day by day. So slowing is like a, a, a big part of it is I've kind of started to evaluate how I spend my time and like what time do I really have available mm-hmm. and um, just trying to, to, to better, to better use my time in a way that is restful and also productive at the same time. Um, but focusing mainly on faithfulness as opposed to outcomes I guess you could say trusting the Lord with outcomes. So yeah. um, slowing is kind of like a general thing. I think that explains all of the rest that I'm going to highlight. Um, and so the, the, the first one that's involved with that is silence and solitude is I start my day every morning just in silence and I am terrible at it. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> terrible at it. Yeah. Um, the cool thing is though, I haven't given up yet um, because um I'm not sure if it's just that there's I've neglected silence for so long that it's like when I turn off everything else, I'm like standing under a waterfall and just being being hit with all these thoughts and all these feelings and, and everything that's going on. And I'm not sure if I'm supposed to like try and push that out and focus on 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 one thing that, that God's trying to teach me, um, if that's like a distraction. Or if like that's just because I've I've stopped up the flow for so long that there's so many things that God's trying to do in me, um, so it's it's either that I need to go on like a silence retreat and just let that waterfall rush for an entire weekend, yeah, or or I just need to be um, really patient and not so distracted. But um, it's definitely something I feel called to continue to practice and to work on because I want to be a better listener um, mm-hmm. to people and of course to you know, to God, I want to hear his voice and, and have his discernment as opposed to just constantly dealing with the loudest, the loudest issue all the time. Right. Um, so that's the first one. And the second one I think is journaling, which, which is kind of helping me slow that waterfall a little bit. Um, you know, because I can pick one thought at a time and spend some time with it mm-hmm. and, write it out that I think I had a problem with journaling there for a while simply because I thought at one point I might write a book. Mm. And so each time, each time I would journal, I would write it as if someone was going to read it, Uh, you know, like it had to be professional. And now I'm like spending hours on this journal entry, (laughs) excuse me, making sure that everything's just right. And the wording sounds good and it flows together. You have good grammar. And and (laughs) yeah, exactly. And, and I just been convicted of that because I, I need something else. I need to commune with God in that time, not always plan on, you know, who, what might happen next as a result of this. Mm. So I've only journaled probably a handful of times in the past three weeks. Um, but each time it's, I've had like a hunger for it. Yeah. Um, I don't, (laughs) I haven't gotten to the point with silence and solitude that I have a hunger for it, Yeah. but, (laughs) but I have, uh, I've had a hunger to journal. I've known that like there's something wrong. There's something that I needed to spend time working through. Um, and the only way to do that would be to, to kind of give it that specific time. And I knew that journaling would help me work through it. So that's been good. And in my journal has, you know, checklists so that I can self-evaluate, you know, um, I've had a couple of like really bad days in the midst of, of this really good four weeks or whatever that it's been. Um, and and I kind of have a checklist to evaluate like what's going on in me when I have that bad day and how can I kind of get back on track? Well, what am I not listening to? Yeah. What am I listening to that I shouldn't be listening to that's mm. kind of um, leading me down this path? And so that's been really helpful. Um, that's awesome. And then the last one is 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 really cool. Um, again, I'm I'm still learning, but 
it's kind of a funny word, Sabbathing. Um, yeah. So we all know what Sabbath is, but it's kind of something that I think Christians have stopped practicing for the most part, or we just treat like not working or not going to work as a Sabbath. But I think, I think really practicing Sabbath is probably a little more direct than that. Mm. Um, so we've only done it for three weeks now, but basically, you know, and, and you don't have to be, um, legalistic in terms of the when, obviously the Hebrew Sabbath is Friday night through Saturday night. Yeah. Um, for our schedule, it's Thursday night through Friday night. Um, mm-hmm. and we turn off our phones, all of us, um, which is two of us, my kids do not have phones. Um, <laughs> we turn off our phones <laughs> and we're just dedicated to doing the things that we want to do together. Things we really like, we eat good food. We read a lot of Psalms. We read Bible stories. Um, we go on, on adventures, um, we go through the woods and, and find the sunset and then walk through the woods with our flashlights on the way back. Oh, um, awesome. We sing and dance and, uh, and each Sabbath ends with a time of blessing where, um, Sarah or myself will speak over the kids and speak over each other, just this blessing, what we see in them and, and how we see God working in another in and through their lives. And, um, so it, I, I guess for us, it's just a, a focused time of intentionality. Mm you know, uh, spending that kind of time with the Lord and rest and blessing one another in the Lord is something that we kind of think happens throughout the week. And hopefully it does. Um, but more often than not, it doesn't. Yeah. And so having 36 hours or 24 hours, um, to spend intentionally seeking the Lord as a family has been a huge blessing. And, um, again, like I said, we haven't figured it out yet because there are moments in the midst of this time where I'm like, this isn't doing it for me. You know, <laughs> I, I want to do, I want to do something else. Like this past week we did it. Uh, my parents were in town. So we were staying at their place um, up on Conroe and we just did not sleep the night before. And so the whole morning I was just grouchy as I'll get out. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and that's just the way it is because Sabbath happens in the real world and real life. And, right. Um, so it's just a matter of, having a focused time to actually think about why that is. And, Mm. um, and so God just taught me about the connection between our bodies and our minds. And, you know, you can't let your body go and think that you're going to have kind of this, this spiritual experience. I mean, you know, our bodies matter. And so being well rested is going to impact the way we approach God or see God or can hear from God. Mm -hmm. Um, it's not to say that if you are not in peak condition physically that you can't hear from the Lord, but, um, you know, there's a physical discipline in, involved in that too. So, yeah. and I think the beauty of, of practicing Sabbath has been, it changes our focus throughout the week. Mm. Um, you know, I think because we do Sabbath once a week, um, I've been able to stick with the silence and solitude in the morning and, um, different things like that. And, um, yeah. So again, it's a, it's a process and, I don't have it all figured out, but I know it's where God wants me right now. And, yeah. um, and I'm excited to continue to grow in these disciplines. So I think that's awesome. I think uh, the, you know, I think that if I knew that there was one day a week that I couldn't run errands, I would be more intentional the other days. Mm-hmm. And I think that right. that's, that's really good. I, I am one of those people that you spoke of that does not Sabbath well. I am also I will procrastinate on other things and be like, oh, I'm going to do this whenever. Um, and we we do usually take Sunday afternoons as kind of like chill and things that are like sort of relaxing to us. And as we're saying that, I'm recording this podcast on a Sunday afternoon. But this is the kind of thing that we in, enjoy. That's not you know stressful, whatever. But um, it is hard. And I think it's really hard for people that work in ministry because there's always a pull to, can you go visit this person? Can you do this thing? Can you help with this other thing? And you do generally have a heart to help other people if you're working in ministry, at least that's what it, you know, you would hope for. Mm. But it's it's hard to put those kind of boundaries and to, you know, I think if you're turning off your phone, I'm like, I that scares me. Twenty four whole hours. Where what if somebody needs to reach me and it's super emergent and it's like, well, I think most of them know where I live. <laughs> if it was <laughs> really really urgent kind of thing, but um, I think that's that's awesome and I appreciate you sharing that. I know you, you know, would love to 
be talking about this a year down the road when you feel like you've become more um, proficient with keeping Sabbath, but or the other practices. But I appreciate that you are willing to share that this is what something you're trying to work on. Um, yeah, yeah. So, um, what helps you to remain faithful to God in the hard times? Um. Yeah, at this point, I think that's. Uh, <laughs> I might not be the best person to ask that question to. I've I've often looked at people who have children with major health issues or have lost a child, and I just, or you know, I've, I've wrestled with cancer themselves, and, mm-hmm. and I wonder if I could if I could handle that, you know. Yeah. Uh, so I think I'm kind of in the process of of building a, more of a foundation. Um right now to where hopefully I can be the kind of person who, who can handle those stressful things with faithfulness. Um, Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think that's, that's been a a struggle for me in the past. Maybe, maybe externally I've kind of put forth, you know, this strength or or maybe not even intentionally put forth a strength, but it's just kind of, uh, not really dealt with it. Um, so I'm, I'm the kind of person who I think is, is now trying to deal with it and be a little bit more honest about, you know, what I am, struggling with um i've always tried to be authentic and and preaching when i'm you know not good at something but um but you know i think i think dealing with hard times and 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 wrestling through what it looks like to be a follower of jesus in the world um is something that that is a challenge um and and specifically for me and others probably in ministry is just where does my relationship with God end and my ministry start? Mm. <laughs> and that's probably not a great way to word it. Um, but you get the idea is it's, they're so connected um, that it can be hard to, to just be with the Lord without looking at how do I translate this so that someone else can grow. Um, yeah. And so I think I think that's kind of where I'm at right now is just that foundation of trusting in the Lord and and building a relationship with Him, um, relying on the love that He has for us. I love that First John, uh, I think it's First John four. You know, so now we know and rely on the love God has for us. Like that's mm-hmm. a huge. I mean, when you have that as an image, like the love of God, if we're going to rely on it, is is like a rope around our our waist. You know, when we're yeah. climbing a mountain, it's you don't do that. You don't climb that mountain unless you rely on that rope. Mm. And, and so the love of God is, is that, that which we rely on when everything else falls apart, when nothing else makes sense. Do you know that God loves you? Yeah. Do you know that his love is, is never ending, that it's unconditional? And man, if you can believe that, then you can love your enemies. Then you can give radical forgiveness. Then you can give money when someone asks. There's, there's so much you can do when you're not afraid. Mm. And that same passage talks about, you know, there's no fear in love. Perfect mm-hmm. love drives out fear. And this is the love that we rely on in Jesus. And so if we can really sit with the Lord in these disciplines or in whatever else he's called us to, then, then we, there's a lot that we don't have to be afraid of mm. um, because we can rely on the love that he has for us. And so I would like to say I've believed that my whole life. And I think I have in word, mm-hmm. um, but in terms of, of really deep down in my core, believing in that love, I think is something that, that God's shaken in me and is drawing me toward, um, which is a huge blessing. That's awesome. That's some really good encouragement right there. I think it's, yeah, I think that when we go through difficult times where we place our faith becomes more and more evident. And so, you know, if you've created this foundation of, you know, trusting him in the little stuff or what seems little in comparison you know, sometimes it feels really big to trust him with your finances. Um, but, you know, it might be by comparison, trusting him with, like you mentioned, like a child with a really serious mm. illness feels so much bigger. It's, yeah. it, you know, I think it's our faith is continuing to grow in each step that we we trust him more and more. And we see he's faithful and we see he's he has our best interest at heart, even if it feels like it hurts so bad. He's still looking out for us and he has not left us. And we can trust that if we've built that foundation. And I think that that's, I mean, that's been something you keep saying is basically creating a a firm foundation for you. And then beyond that, for your family 
is what you you sound like you've been trying to do. And I think that's really, that's really incredible. And um, Adam, I just want to thank you so much for coming on today and talking to me and um, just sharing struggles and, and great things that God is doing at the same time. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. Hopefully uh, this is an encouragement to somebody. I just feel like I've been rambling a lot, but uh, hopefully it's connected and, uh, and yeah, encourages somebody for sure. I love Adam's authenticity and hearing about how God is growing him through his adoption of spiritual disciplines. It's so encouraging to me as I learn to practice some of these on my own. Thanks so much for listening today. If you enjoy The Faithful Podcast, please go on Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review. Reviews help people find the podcast so that it can be a blessing to them. And while you're there, go ahead and hit the subscribe button so that you never miss an episode. You can find me on faithfulpodcast.podbean.com or on Instagram at faithfulpodcast. Have a great week and remember to stay faithful, friends.